Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here with what is supposed to be your Wednesday Night Wars edition of the show. But due to the ongoing news coming out of the wrestling world about the coronavirus pandemic, we also have plenty to talk about regarding WrestleMania 36 on today's show. But before we get to that, a reminder, it's the spring, and that makes it five-star review season. So head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the finest wrestling audio and drop that five-star rating along with a written review. Those help as well. Tell me what you like so much about getting over wrestling podcasts. It would mean a lot to me. Also, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and you can hit me up at Silverstein Adam. Joining me today on this edition of Getting Over is a lifelong wrestling fan who is also a college football writer for The Athletic and co-host of the Green and White Noise podcast about Michigan State football. I can't imagine being an MSU football fan, but if you are, you probably know Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome to Getting Over. Hey, Silver King. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to get on this week after I was bumped earlier in the week for the Brian Campbell. But uh, I got to say he's a main event player. I get it. But uh, I'm here to take my shot. You were legitimately bumped. It was a real bump. Uh, I, I did ask Chris to do Tuesday's show, um, but I was speaking to Brian, obviously, about WrestleMania. and I knew he had seen the news that came out. And when you have the opportunity to do a reunion episode about seven shows in, you take it, especially, like you said, with someone like the Brian Campbell. So ha- was happy to have him on Tuesday. Thank you for the flexibility coming on Thursday. And as it turns out, we're still going to get the opportunity to talk WrestleMania. So it didn't really uh, go that far. But I will say, before we get into the wrestling talk, I know, you know, I, I'm the deputy managing editor over at CBS Sports. I'm in charge of college football. You're obviously a national college football writer for The Athletic. Dude, I was excited for spring practice. And I'm not always excited for spring practice because it's usually a time of year where I think things get overinflated, uh, much ado about nothing on uh, many occasions when, hey, this look, this guy really showed out in spring. He's going to be a major player for the team, you know, come the fall and then doesn't see the field or just ends up being a third stringer. Uh, But I was particularly excited about this spring because the national champion was coming in, um, had to completely retool their team with LSU losing it's, you know, star coordinator, it's star quarterback and a lot of other starters, Alabama coming off one of its worst seasons in years. And, you know, worst is means something different when you're talking about Alabama. I'm certainly a Florida fan. I do own the website onlygators.com. Uh, you can also follow that on Twitter at onlygators. Florida, I thought, had a really good opportunity to win the East this year. And that's just talking the SEC. There's craziness going on across the country. Are you feeling like I do where like I was really legitimately excited about, you know, a good month of college football. And it kind of obviously just got pulled out from under us. Yeah, I mean, I always love spring football, whatever it is. And you're right that there's a lot of hype about everything. But, you know, we didn't have an Alabama Clemson National Championship last year. We finally got something different. So we have some star players coming back. Justin Fields at Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Uh, It felt like a handful of teams could have a shot uh, this year. Um, And most of those teams will have only gotten very little or none of spring practice as Every almost every school has gone online and all athletic activities basically in college sports are are done for the next few weeks, if not the rest of the academic year. So nobody really knows what's going to happen next in college football. And I know this is college basketball time of year. The NCAA tournament would be starting today, uh, but it's also a busy time for football. And instead, everybody's at home. It is really interesting. You know, I, I am curious to see, do they start? 
the summer slash fall practices earlier? Do they give them an extra 15 practices, two more weeks? You know, how, what will teams look like in week one? Um, it's going to be really curious to see what the college football season is going to be like, assuming it starts and gets played on time. There are myriad things that could happen between now and then. Obviously, again, you can follow Chris on The Athletic uh, at Chris Vanini on Twitter. That's two uh, Chris, C-H-R-I-S-V-A-N-N-I-N-I. And certainly, obviously, I cover college football for CBS Sports as well. You can always follow us at CBS Sports and at Cover 3 Podcast, which is our college football podcast over at CBS. Okay, enough about college football. It's time to move into the main event and talk some professional wrestling. And like I said, the plan was initially we were going to come on, talk some Wednesday Night Wars. But WWE at about 7.30, 30 minutes before NXT and Dynamite started, threw us a curveball and made some additional changes to WrestleMania 36. On Monday, they announced that WrestleMania would be taking place inside the Performance Center, moving from Raymond James Stadium. On Wednesday, they first announced that it will be held over two days on Saturday and Sunday, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. So just taking that on its own, because there's three major announcements that WWE made on Wednesday, and apparently there are more to come. We will figure out what those are as they happen. But Holding Mania over two days, I think, is something that people have been very curious about for the last three or four years. WWE historically had, you know, anywhere from nine to like 12 matches on a WrestleMania card, sometimes one fewer, you know, eight around there. But they kept the card relatively short in previous years because they really made it about the ending of feuds and, you know, establishing that this is the biggest show of the year and we're going to build up to this huge event. But what they've done really over the last three or four years, in some ways, has been bastardizing WrestleMania. They've gone to 13, then 14, then 16 matches on the card. Last year's show, I was live there, um, you know, in the Meadowlands, and it went basically seven hours. Uh, You know, it started at five, longer than seven hours. It started at 5 p.m. with the kickoff show and lasted beyond midnight because it ran long. It got extremely uh, tiresome. And going into this year, it was looking like the show was going to be, you know, 15, 16 matches again. What I find interesting is there are not 16 matches currently booked for this show. And, you know, they haven't even officially announced the two battle royals. I'm wondering if those even happen, considering the limitations on, you know, how many people can be gathered together uh, in a singular place at any given time. Uh, But still, this year, which was not expected to be the year that this might happen, they have gone to two days Presumably for me, Chris, because of the coronavirus pandemic, most likely because they want to spread out the talent and have as few people in any given place at any given time. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. But I cannot find a single negative to this. Um, I like that it's spread out over multiple days because people are stuck home without much to do. It's two days of entertainment. Uh, It's giving each match and each performer hopefully more time in the ring. Like, is there any hole that you can poke into this to tell me that going to two days is not the right move for WWE, especially this particular year? Well, I was not one of those people who wanted it to move to two days like Wrestle Kingdom uh, in previous years. But I think given this setup now, it makes sense because I don't you can't have a five hour show in an empty arena or something like that. It's just not going to carry. It's going to it's going to get boring. I think this is a good idea. Um It allows you, I think, still to trim the fat. Have maybe two, three-hour shows. We're probably not going to have Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royals uh, 
if only because having that many people in the right. ring at one time is not good social dis- distancing. Uh, but uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's a good idea. I think you can do this in a way that has every match feel like a big deal. Uh, if you split it up, give them some time and let them do their work. Yeah, I think it's fair because I'm not necessarily saying it needed to happen or I would have suggested them doing this if it was at Raymond James. I just think that because the cards have gotten so long with so many matches, it is something that has been thrust into the forefront of people's minds, especially now that, like you said, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling just did it for Wrestle Kingdom this year. Now, they did it a little bit differently. They kind of still had their main card, but then they had matches on that second day that resulted from the decisions on the first day. Right. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious if they're going to do that. I think there's a real opportunity to do that, to do something on Saturday that leads into Sunday to build some excitement uh, as opposed to just simply putting the card out there. I think there are some stories you can tell two days in a row, just like New Japan did. It's possible. I mean, you could certainly have the WWE and Universal Champions fight each other in a non-title match, kind of like a Survivor Series. Um, but I, what I ultimately think is going to happen is I think WWE is going to book about 12 matches for WrestleMania. And I think they're going to go six and six. And it's going to give two opportunities for Roman Reigns and for Drew McIntyre to main event the respective shows unless they do something shocking and put the Becky Lynch-Shayna Baszler match in one of the main events. But I think they have seen by the reception that Baszler's gotten um, and the feud has gotten, although obviously they haven't had the opportunity to really build it in front of a crowd uh, you know, recently, or at least this Monday. Um I don't necessarily think that they will do that. I think they're going to go with their own matches and just split them up. Maybe even do a Raw show and a SmackDown show, which I do not advise. I I would like everything mixed up. I don't think the SmackDown uh, talent is strong enough to do that, nor do I think there will be enough SmackDown matches to do that. But I I am going to be interested to see how they decide to split it up. But, But going over two days in this particular environment with the considerations of coronavirus, I think is uh, uh, the right decision. Um, And it's one that excites me more because again, we're looking for things to do right now. We're looking for things to watch, not just as wrestling fans, but as, as people uh, being at home and for WWE to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to give you not one night, but two nights of wrestling action, three hours each day, maybe with an hour kickoff show. So now you're getting eight hours over two days. Uh, I'm going to completely buy into that and I'm all aboard, but that's not the only thing that WWE announced on Wednesday. They also announced, that WrestleMania on both nights is going to be held not just at the Performance Center, but over multiple locations. The problem is, Chris, where the hell are they going to go? Because there's a reason why WWE is not holding NXT shows or their TV at full sale right now, because the university is closed and they're not allowing people to use that arena. Barclay Center just told UFC to go F itself for UFC 249. They're not going to let them hold that event there. Uh, clearly stadiums and arenas across the country are shutting down and clearly WWE has a plan here, right? Because they're not going to announce multiple locations and then be stuck with their thumbs up their asses and nowhere to go. The question is where the hell can they go? And I have an idea, but I'm going to give you the opening, uh, opportunity here. What are you thinking that we might see for these additional locations for WrestleMania? I'm not, I'm honestly not sure. I don't know if that means you'll have some matches i don't know in a in a parking lot somewhere or just in the street like some street fights i don't know you're 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 the florida resident you would know better than i would but for all those reasons you just said multiple days at the performance center maybe wouldn't have been ideal but i at least would have understood it now i'm not exactly sure what's going to go on so as the floridian on here what do you think 
Well, here's the situation. So if you remember, and I can't tell you the year specifically, but I feel like it was a decade ago, there was a two or three year period where college basketball just started deciding, hey, we're going to put games in weird locations. They held them at army bases. They held them here and there. And I went to a Florida Georgetown basketball game. It was called the Navy Marine Corps Classic. And it was held on a naval base in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and the game itself was held on the deck of the USS Patan, which was an amphibious like assault ship. I basically, think of a battleship or a, or a naval aircraft carrier. It was an incredible, incredible experience. They had the um, basketball court right in the middle. They had cadets and, and uh, naval personnel and marine personnel, you know, surrounding the ring, not the ring, the, uh, the court, um, the look of the army or the Navy base behind the ship on one side and the ocean on the other side was absolutely incredible. When you think about the potential for WWE to do a tribute for the troops esque type of location, whether at an army base in the United States uh, or on the deck of a ship like that, I think it is a it would be a huge, massive victory for WWE. I don't know what the current coronavirus restrictions are, you know, regarding the armed forces. My assumption is they can't really separate from each other because they need to all be together. I'm sure they're going to, if they haven't already, testing these bases thoroughly and are going to make sure that no one there is sick. Um, but that is an opportunity to potentially not just have a unique location, but to maybe even have a crowd for some of these matches. If, if they're all tested clean and they do not are not under the same restrictions that the general population is. Obviously, WWE has a close relationship with the USO and the United States military. That would be something to me that would be incredible. Another option, there are cruise ships docked throughout the coast of Florida, Miami, Tampa, uh, and there's, port, there's ports elsewhere, and they're cleaning these ships down. You know, they just did the Jericho cruise, AEW did, and that was, to me, incredible. They were able to build a set. They had pyro. It was a unique atmosphere. Does WWE take one of these docked cruise ships and have it be empty, throw a ring on it, and do WrestleMania on a cruise? I, I don't know. Um, I just, I'm seeing that ships and army bases create opportunities for WWE that they may not have had otherwise. One other option, the last thing I can think of, Chris, is obviously like there's the Hardy compound, right? Matt Hardy has a ring outdoors just in a field, basically. WWE could just set up a ring somewhere, like anywhere, <laughs> like, a, like pick a field somewhere in Florida, an outdoor area, right. block it all off and put a ring there and put a set and pyro and do whatever you want. That's all I can think of because I don't know what other indoor areas WWE would want to do. And based on what we've seen from them from the performance center so far, I don't think putting it in other warehouses would be a good idea. I got to say, I like where your head is at. Mostly, I think the cruise ship idea would be a terrible idea just because of the <laughs> stigma around the ships right now. And sure, uh, the, the absolute last place you want to be. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of it in an open field or something or, or, or a street fight, something like that, it, it's possible. As for the army base or, or the ship idea or whatever, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it would bring some positive PR, but I also think I mean, we'll see where we are in two, three weeks, but I, I, I think any image of a crowd is not going to be the best look, even if it's a crowd of service members. Um, I, I know the Naval Academy in Annapolis just shut down to the public the other day. Mm -hmm. I don't know how far apart service members are being kept, 
but of all those options, I think that's probably the best option. Maybe you spread people out. I'm not sure. The only other option maybe is the impact zone. How about that? Yeah, I mean, if it's even open, right? If they can get anywhere. I mean, look, theoretically, they could like, Disney's empty, vacant. They could throw a ring in Disney, but I don't think that they're going to be allowed to do that. So right. the question is, where can you have space to do these things? And where will you be allowed to go? But e even if they did it on a ship, like I was talking about, like the USS Bataan, uh, which is in Jacksonville, even if they did that, um, they don't, you don't have to have anyone there. Just put it on the, uh, put it on a battleship and just, hey, here's a really cool looking ring. You know what I mean? And you can have people, them watching on, cl on closed caption TV or just watching a stream from wherever they're located on the naval base. I just think that doing something with the Army, Navy, Marines, the armed forces in the United States would be fantastic PR, an opportunity to have a unique location and somewhere that they might actually be able to operate. That, that's really all I was getting at with that. But, but yeah. if, if, if you could have a crowd, I mean, that would be even better. Um, the third thing WWE announced, Chris, and this is talking a little bit more to you and I as football fans, is they announced Rob Gronkowski as host of WrestleMania for both days. When, when they, a couple weeks ago, noted on WWE backstage that Gronk was close to a deal, the first thing in my mind was not necessarily WrestleMania host, but last week on SmackDown in the Performance Center, when they had Mojo Raleigh sitting there with Triple H and Michael Cole, uh, and they said Gronk was going to be on next week's show, it became crystal clear to me that he was going to be able to host WrestleMania. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a little surprised that they're going to bring in a celebrity considering the circumstances. Uh, you know, you want to keep everything as tight as you can inside the WWE family, right? They could have gone, not necessarily with Alexa Bliss, but like, another superstar who wasn't going to be on the card to be host of WrestleMania. They could have brought in a, an old schooler, a veteran, a Hall of Famer, someone like Booker T. Um, but they're going with Gronk here. And WWE seems to be going all in on the idea of Gronk being a part of this company. So my question for you is very simple. Are you excited to see Gronk part of WWE? And do you think that this is a role in which he will excel? I, I think him in WWE was... Interesting. There are different things you could do. As for being a host, eh, I was kind of indifferent. I mean, my biggest question right now, two nights, at least once in an empty arena, it feels like the host is going to be a very, very important job here. There are not going to be, there's not going to be as much pageantry and stuff to fill up time. It feels like a host is someone who's going to have to take you segment to segment to segment. Is Gronk capable of doing that or is he going to have other people around him? I'm not sure. I know that this guy is a bit polarizing in, in wrestling circles, but I would have preferred a Pat McAfee in a role yeah. like this. I think he's a guy who brings the, he brings the energy, the excitement, knowledge of the product to uh, he, he'd be able to handle the whole thing. He does a radio show. He's used to this kind of thing. Now, maybe he's not a big enough celebrity name for a WrestleMania host and Grok is. And I get that. But my biggest question right now is, yeah, is Gronk going to be opening the show, talking between every segment, taking us bit to bit? That's my biggest question is how he's going to do. I'm I'm kind of indifferent to him as a host. I think there are different things you could do with him in WWE that would be interesting. But uh, as a WrestleMania host over two days, I'm I'm a bit skeptical. You make a very good point, because in most years, the host is kind of meaningless. Like, yeah, the New Day did a great job introducing the Hardy Boys. Right. 
and Alexa Bliss when she hosted. Honestly, I don't even remember because I was there. And yeah, like, I, all I remember is Hulk Hogan coming out behind her like at the opening and me cringing a little bit. Right, right. And then I think she may have introduced the Hall of Fame people. But the, the host job at WrestleMania historically, and it's only been a couple of years, has not been much. This year, the host actually needs to host. Like, like if you look at Dynamite, and we'll talk about AEW in a bit, but if you look at Dynamite and you see the role that Tony Schiavone played, mm-hmm. it, he wasn't a host of the show, but he did help serve as a transitioner between segments, between matches. You need someone that is capable of freelancing, of improving, of being very talented speaking on the mic to, to be your host. So I'm with you completely. Gronk for me as a special guest or a guest host, if you called it that, quote unquote, that works. But your host of the show needs to be someone like a Booker T, like a Renee Young, like a Pat McAfee. I think you absolutely nailed it. If you had McAfee and Gronk together hosting the show where McAfee is the host and he's throwing to Gronk and asking Gronk questions and they're playing off of each other. Yeah. That's a winning combination. But to ask Gronk to be out there just with a mic doing Gronk stuff. Uh, that Gronk stuff is fun when there's a crowd of people, when he can get people riled up, when he can chug a beer or jump into a crowd and, and stage dive or whatever the case. But I don't see Gronk and maybe even Mojo Raleigh like hyping me up between one match and another in an empty performance center where it's going to echo and there's no one else to talk. So I'm really aligned with you there. Uh, I, I like his involvement in WWE. I think any way that you can bring in sports fans of the millennial age, and I don't mean mm-hmm. I don't mean millennial to say like you know thirteen through like nineteen, but you know our age and younger people that are between like twenty one and thirty five. That's the demographic that WWE needs to go after. And right now they're not winning the hardcores. They're heading over to AEW, or they're some of them are watching NXT like me. Um, but WWE needs to bring that demographic in, and even if it's casuals in that age group, I think Gronk will help. People will be curious. Especially okay. especially at a time when there's nothing else going on. If WrestleMania is the only thing going on, there's a real opportunity to bring in a lot more people. And that's honestly why I liked your idea on the last episode of putting WrestleMania on Fox, because yeah. there's, a, there's so many people out there who are just looking for something. And if you just tr- maximize that exposure to pos- as big as possible, you could bring in more people like that. But obviously, it's not the way they're going. Like, what kind of rating? Like, you really have to think about it. What kind of rating could WrestleMania pop over two nights on Fox, what kind of advertising dollars could Fox and WWE bring? It just seems honestly like a a complete no-brainer to me where you have an entertainment product, people now more than ever, I mean, they're already talking about putting WWE on ESPN Plus, their major pay-per-views or Netflix or another streaming service. But what kind of attention could WWE get from a mainstream audience to almost be like a Super Bowl? And, and you know, we've talked about this, not not you and I, but but wrestling fans, uh, wrestling people have talked about this for years, the idea of WWE being a Super Bowl and being on NBC or Fox. But this is your opportunity to do it. Things are so weird right now. I think that they can make a ton of money and get a shitload of national exposure being on Fox or NBC. It honestly shocks me that they're not going in that direction. Yeah, I, I get this is the time of year when they when they maximize WWE, WWE Network subs because right. you want people to come in for WrestleMania. 
I just don't think there's going to be a lot of new subs for this year's WrestleMania in this situation. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe because there is nothing going on, people will flock to it. Right. And I, I mean, I got to say, I've spent the last week watching tons of old stuff on the network since there's nothing else going on. There's The network is an incredible tool uh, for, for all wrestling fans. But I finally got my dad to check it out the other day, and he starts watching back WrestleMania 3. There, there's still an opportunity to bring in these lapsed fans and putting it on, putting WrestleMania on uh, the biggest stage on a Fox on something like that, uh, as opposed to making somebody figure out how to get on the network. I, it, you're right. It, it's a way to bring in the most amount of people. It may not be the most best money move because they need those network subs at this time of year, especially with the way the stock had been going. But I just I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of people signing up uh, for it this time. Yeah. Around. I mean, I, I do trust that, that it, it was a consideration. I have to imagine someone brought up the idea. Yeah, I, I would guess they crunched the numbers. Maybe financially it doesn't make sense. But WWE is about to lose a ton of ticket revenue, not just from Mania and TakeOver and all those shows, but all the house shows that they've had to cancel, the Raws and SmackDowns. Um, so right now, WWE is in a situation where they need to make money. So to me, I thought it would be a great money move, but maybe it's not. Maybe once they crunched the numbers, they felt, you know what, the, the, what we would lose by not having the network, by not sending people to the network, just wouldn't make sense. I mean, let's not forget, John Cena is on this card. He is a big mainstream name. Now you have Gronk. You have Edge who's back. The Undertaker is going to be there. So WWE has done a good job building this for the casual audience. That, to me, is why you put it on a platform where more casual fans can watch than any. And that's network television, over-the-air TV. You know, any, anyone can watch Fox and would be able to watch WrestleMania. I think it would pop a sick rating, but that and, is... And, you know what, and this is a good time. They should be pumping out the network, marketing it everywhere. Hey, yep. you're sitting at home, you got nothing going on. Hey, want to watch WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania X7? You remember that? You Go check that out, you got nothing going on. They should be pumping this out everywhere because everybody's streaming right now. Everybody's looking for something to watch. The, the Raw and SmackDown should just be constantly telling people, hey, get on the network, check out something else. I actually have honestly thought Raw and SmackDown, maybe they should be showing some uh, vintage matches from years ago. Show Hulk Hogan versus Andre on, on SmackDown or on Raw if you have nothing else going on and use that to push people to the network at this time of year. I, I, it, they need network subs, obviously, and I think that's a way to do it at a time when everybody's looking for something to stream. It's a good point because they do have two plus million viewers on both Raw and SmackDown. And I believe they have below 1.5 million subscribers on WWE Network. We know there's a lot more wrestling fans out there. They, they exist, right? But it's about bringing them in. So you're right. If you're going to be airing Raw and SmackDown, and we, I will talk about this later in uh, Getting Overtime, which is going to be the Q&A portion of the show. Some of you asked me this. But if you're going not to be putting on full shows, then you should be doing whatever you can to bring people over to the network to subscribe, to watch your old content, let them know. Hey, like WWE promoted heavily, heavily the Rock um, Hulk Hogan anniversary of that match, right? The mm -hmm. Rock even went on Instagram and did a 12-minute video giving his perspective on that match. Well, what they should have done is called The Rock and said, hey, can we just have that? Called Hulk Hogan and said, hey, Hulk, why don't we tape something with you in Tampa? And now you have a 45-minute segment um, on you know, Raw, where you have, you're talking to Hulk and The Rock, two massive names taking you inside this epic match that they had at WrestleMania. And you're telling people that this match in full is available on the network. You know, here's 15 minutes of it, but you can go watch 
the entire 30 minute thing with the finish on the network. So you make an absolutely great point, but uh, we do need to move on here. Uh, you know, that was the talk about what's going on with WrestleMania. Let's talk about AEW dynamite, which emanated unplanned, of course, uh, Wednesday night from Daly's place in Jacksonville. That is an outdoor amphitheater that is owned by a sister company uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, which is owned by Chad Khan. Uh, so that is why AEW was able to work there. I think the biggest topic overall, and yes, there were two debuts on the show, but the biggest topic overall for me, Chris, is how AEW was able to make an empty arena work for them. They gave us a full stage setup with Pyro. They darkened the crowd so you didn't see rows of chairs. Uh, the, the camera angle primarily was focused at the stage versus, you know, the fans, which made a lot of sense. Um, and they had faces and heels on opposite sides of the ring behind barricades. They made a little bit of ambient noise during the match and they went to them pre and post match. And e even during the match, they would flick over to them occasionally just to provide a little bit more depth of coverage that there are people here and there are things happening besides what is going on directly in the ring. Um, I thought they held what you could consider somewhat of a regular show, which is certainly what fans wanted. So top to bottom, given the circumstances, I have to give AEW five stars for the way they made Dynamite look on Wednesday night. And we can compare it to WWE in just a bit. But on its own, I thought they absolutely nailed the presentation. A absolutely. I'm right there with you. It, everybody being around the ring, sparsed around, distancing as much as they could, it made it feel like a living, breathing product. It didn't feel like it was bits and pieces of stuff just happening like, like WWE often feels like. It felt like everybody was involved in the same thing, watching what was going on. Great transitions between segments. Colt Cabana's talking to Shivani. Kip Sabian comes over to him. You've got MJF and Sean Spears betting on the side. And it, it made everything feel alive a bit. And like you said, with the stage, with the way the camera was set up, where you're not seeing the rows of empty seats, I think it was it was great play. I think either you got to go all in on wrestling or all out of wrestling. SmackDown and Raw were kind of trying to do a mix. Uh, NX, NXT, which we'll get to, and AEW, I think both picked what they wanted to do and went all in on that, and I think it worked out. Yeah, it's, you know, it, this is not a AEW versus WWE thing here, right? And And there is a question I'll address later about, you know, did AEW learn something from WWE? But you just look at the, to me, WWE's biggest issue is thoughtfulness. It's thoughtfulness in storylines. It's, it's thoughtfulness in presentation. Not that they don't do a good job. WWE has some of the best production in all of sports or entertainment. Don't get me wrong there. But, you know, even when WWE's concocting storylines, like the John Cena, Bray Wyatt thing, right? They gave some thought into, hey, how do we connect this? Uh, you know, let's let's bring this back to, you know, uh, Cena kind of quote unquote unquote burying Bray Wyatt during their match at WrestleMania. But they don't necessarily give that thoughtfulness at the beginning of the storyline. They have yes. to add it later on. What AEW did is they sat down as a group, and I don't know this happened. I'm just making an assumption here. But they sat down as a group in Jacksonville and said, okay, we are being faced with a very unique situation here. How do we make the most of it? And people chimed in and they realized, well, and look, I'm not saying that I'm some genius here, but a lot of the things that AEW did, I mentioned um, on my instant analysis, either coming out of SmackDown or on Tuesday's show when I was talking about what they did at Raw. And what I mentioned was 
have, you know, and this was really for WrestleMania was my suggestion, but my suggestion was bring entourages out with the wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, have people that are around the ring that aren't involved in the match, but don't leave it completely barren and empty. That's what AEW did. Don't make it so apparent that there's no one in the arena. Yes, it's fine to show empty chairs. We're not trying to hide the fact that there's a pandemic going on. But at the same time, don't make it overly apparent. Show us the lights and the smoke and do what you can do. Now, WWE certainly has, um, they had some limitations being in a warehouse. They're not going to be able to do pyro with the ceiling that low. They gave us smoke. They gave us lasers and things like that. AEW naturally, by it being an outdoor amphitheater and by having already set up there for a pay-per-view, not a pay-per-view, but whatever Fight for the Fallen was, whatever you want to call that, a uh, special event, they knew the area and they knew what they could do with it, right? So I just thought from a presentation perspective, it was great. Then AEW also thought, well, what kind of, what are we going to give them in this presentation? When they opened the show and it was just the pro- promo with Cody, I said, you know what? They're doing it very similar to WWE. They're going to have a set, but it's mostly going to be dark. You know, they're not doing entrance music for every person that came out to join that elite promo early in the show. Uh, but no, that's not what they did. What they did was they gave us a wrestling show. They said, we are going to have matches. We are going to tell storylines and we're going to do just as we normally would have done. Maybe they cut out a couple segments that they otherwise would have had, but they figured out a way to give us a two hour wrestling show full of wrestling matches and storylines. And that's what I particularly appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and my one concern watching it and I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if they can address this. I kind of wish they would, but the physical contact and the way people are supposed to social distance right now, I would love for them to mention if they have, or if they could, Hey, we are monitoring all of our wrestlers for uh, taking their temperatures. If anything's off, they are not wrestling. That was the only thing uh, I would say that I would have liked to know watching it. Um, But otherwise, other than that, you know, I did get sucked in. It, It felt like a normal wrestling show, having people interact on the sidelines, having Tony Schiavone do interviews, uh, it made it, it sucked me in. I kind of forgot about everything else that was going on. And it's exactly what people want at this time of year. And from a production value, given the circumstances they were in, thought it was a great, uh, just a great way to do it, to have Brandy on uh, doing the ring announcing and, right, and right. the Chiron saying that she would never ring announce again. There were, there were some fun things. Adam Handwash page, like they made right. it entertaining. And that's, that's exactly what people want right now, especially out of wrestling. And, um, you know, we, we, we can get into the storylines and different things that they did, but it felt like they wanted to make this enjoyable and they did. Yeah. I think there's a huge, uh, differential between what dynamite was and what we saw from NXT and raw, but dynamite was similar to what SmackDown was, where SmackDown, yes, they did give us uh, a a match from a pay-per-view during that show, the Elimination Chamber, the tag team SmackDown Elimination Chamber. But otherwise, it was a two-hour wrestling show, and they had fun. They had Triple H busting Mm -hmm. Michael Cole's balls the entire time. They had matches. Um, They had people cut promos in the ring and call out. You know, like, I think they did a call and response with Miz and Morrison, and no one answered them, of course, because no one's there, right? So... They had fun with it. So I thought SmackDown uh, and AEW Dynamite both were solid, whereas Raw and NXT, for me, fell short. We'll talk about NXT a little bit later. But let's actually talk about the storylines from Dynamite. You're right. Uh, There were four main ones. Three of them had to do with newly debuting or just recently debuting talent. Uh, The first one, I'll just quickly kind of say the Lance Archer vignette. I've sent a tweet out that I didn't like it. A lot of people disagreed with me. Um, 
I just thought it made very little sense for Lance Archer to be in a random wrestling ring, beating up a lot of people, some little people, but a lot of people that were smaller and diminutive and, and not, not smaller. Like when WWE has a jobber come out or an enhancement talent that is still like six, two, but thin, these guys were tiny and he beat them up all like they were sideshows. Uh, he's a murder hawk, but now he's like, uh, asked to something. To, it seemed like they were doing like a circus theme. Jake Roberts was there smoking a pipe. I liked that, I guess. But other than that, it just was a vignette that didn't really hit home with me. I thought it was trying to be Hardy Compound-esque and failed. Um, but tell me I'm wrong. Feel free. So I, I liked it, but I would have flipped it. I would have done the vignette before the promo because the promo with Jake started saying, hey, Cody, why are you ignoring us? And it kind of, I think, diminished what they were. And, and, and then we go to the vignette where we see how badass Lance Archer looks and Jake is what looking on. Uh, I really like, really, really like the vignette. I, I like the idea of Jake just taking Lance Archer around and just finding random wrestlers, beating them up. Uh, the people who watch AEW are familiar with backyard wrestling, with independent wrestling. And I, sure. I, I think, I think there's a way you can make Lance Archer look bigger, better than all these people. And then you have Jake talk about it. So I would have just flipped it. I would have had Jake explain how they feel after the vignette that made Lance Archer look really strong because it was a weird to go from promo to vignette. I think it just it felt a little off to me. I would have done it the other way. And Jake's a great promo, and there's obviously and there's a lot of good stuff in there. But when he was talking about Cody ignoring him, to me that kind of just diminished what they are. It, if they're telling me that Cody's not taking them seriously, then why am I going to take them seriously? Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know if I would have done the promo or not. You've got Jake the Snake in there, so you obviously want him to talk. But I really, really like the vignette. Felt a little Lucha Underground-ish, mm-hmm. and I, I hope to get more of that. It's it, it was something a little bit different, and I appreciated that. No, it's a good take. If they had flipped it, I may have felt slightly better about it. But what I would have much preferred is, like, because Cody's an EVP, right? And it's a closed set because of the pandemic that's going on. What I would have preferred is that they closed the set to them, that they weren't allowed in Daly's place. Mm. And, in, and instead, what you have Jake and Archer do, and you saw there was like an exit area where like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus like exited um, at some point after their match. They showed it like it went to like a parking lot or a loading dock or whatever. What I would have liked is there to have been security there. Those guys try to get in. Archer throws them, bigger guys tosses them aside like they're nothing they break in and then they cut the promo that jake's promo that's how that's how you do it if it's me you want lance archer to look like a badass instead what he looks like is wardlow he looks like a muscle guy who needs someone else to talk for him granted it's jake the snake roberts but archer's a big commanding dude who by the way can cut a promo and it's the fit for me is just a little bit strange ill-fitting um, I'm fine with it because I like seeing Jake. Jake is cutting really good promos. His first one was incredible, but I just need a little bit more. Uh, right now, it's not hitting me right. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah, um, I, I would say one last thing. I would say, yeah. I, I think I, in terms of Jake saying Cody's ignorious, and I, I know I keep going back to that point, I kind of, I like what you're saying, and I, we don't need to get down into fantasy booking all the way, but maybe uh, Jake and Lance break in, and then they just watch Cody and they stand there. I like the idea that they're watching him not doing it. That was what they did last week. They're, they have their eye on Cody. Cody knows they have their eye on him, but you never know when exactly they're going to follow through and strike. Another way to kind of build up the mysteriousness a little bit. Absolutely. And, and it is strange also for me that Cody's in the middle of a blood feud with the inner circle. 
and they're starting the next storyline. I'm okay with that in theory. That's how wrestling should be. You should be thinking many weeks in advance. It's just like, let this guy finish what he's doing. If Archer's not going to interfere in blood and guts, then, you know, what's the point of this? And how long is this going to go? Is this going to be the match at whatever their next pay-per-view is? If there is a next pay-per-view, you know, in 2020, based on what's going on, um, I'm just really curious to see when they plan on playing this out, how it's going to go down. And if, if blood and guts is the end suddenly of an elite inner circle feud that seemingly should be going on for longer, considering how many people there are in both uh, factions. So that, that is all very curious for me, but another faction that made certainly a big dent uh, on Wednesday night was the dark order, which as promised, and that is something else I liked that AEW fulfilled their promise, unveiled the exalted one. And it was Brody Lee, the former Luke Harper in WWE. I, you know, there was a lot of teases about Matt Hardy as they started teasing it even a little bit. I knew it wasn't going to be Matt Hardy. So my assumption as a fan, as someone who's been uh, covering and, and watching wrestling for decades was that it was going to be Brody Lee. So it didn't surprise me. That said, I thought he cut a great promo. It was a pre-taped promo, clearly. Um, I loved the shot that he made at Vince. There was one old man who didn't believe in me before, you know, um, uh, what's the guy I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head right now in, uh, SCU, but you don't believe in me now. I'm going to make you believe. Uh, and then he came out was standing behind them and they kicked some ass. I think the dark order as a group up to this point has been a huge failure. Um, I don't like the gimmick, the, the masks. I don't love everything they've basically done with the exception of the vignettes. The vignettes have been good. Yes. So my question is now, or not my question, but my, my thought is, now that you do have Luke Harper, Brody Lee involved in this group, he brings a wrestler into the group that I actually want to see. And if they treat him like a true leader, like a Cody, like a Kenny Omega, like a Chris Jericho, then I think things are going to get interesting. But other than him, and while I am excited to see him, I thought his getup was fine. I thought the segment was good. I still don't care much about the Dark Order. No, and uh, one question I had after that happened is who – you may know, I don't know, who is the leader? Is Brody Lee the leader? Is Evil Uno the leader? Is Evil Uno going to keep talking? I'm not sure who's exactly in charge there. Yeah, but... it's, it's like, is Brody Lee their god, but Uno is the leader? Yeah. Or is Brody Lee both? Like, it's very difficult yeah. to figure out. Yeah, I, I, we'll get in, I'm sure we'll get into Matt Hardy in a, in, in a minute. And, you know, everybody thought it was going to be that. And I, I wanted it to be Matt Hardy because I'm like you. I'm not really buying the Dark Order. I like those vignettes when they were recruiting people. Uh, but it's hard to do spooky in a show that's about technical wrestling. So I would have preferred I, I would have preferred Matt Hardy and Brody Lee switch spots. I would have preferred the Dark Order just go all in on on, on the goofiness because that's I think that's the only way this is going to work. The other part of that is if you have spooky people uh supernatural types of people i think that needs to be addressed by people at the top of the card because when the dark order says stuff like we can do whatever we want well why are they not taking the AEW championship right now why do they want the championship i i don't know i, I think you need somebody like cody or jericho to be like just reference the dark order say hey we want to stay away from those guys they're a little weird or something like that to to give them a little bit more credibility because when you have spooky people in a technical wrestling show it's just not i'm with you it's not quite clicking and i think Brody lee's great i don't know if this is the best role for him i would have flipped him in matt hardy i think i think luke harper is better Brody lee is better as a hand than he is uh an exalted leader 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, are you going to put Brody Lee in the world championship picture and make him a legitimate contender? And if not, that's okay. But AEW now is adding Lance Archer, Brody Lee, and Matt Hardy, and they already have a pretty stacked roster, right? You have a world title, a tag team title, and a women's championship. Their, their roster size now is larger, I believe, than SmackDown and or it's, it's at least equivalent, if not larger than one of those shows. So they need either a mid card or a trios title to be added. Yes. Um, and I would, pr- I know people who like NJPW and who are familiar with Ring of Honor, they like the six man championship. I get it. But if it's me, I go with a mid card title. I think they have so many male singles performers in that company that are talented and that could run other programs mm-hmm. that you, you could easily have that title and have Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara and Brody Lee and Matt Hardy. Like it's endless. They've also so many tag teams comprised of guys who could legitimately be single stars. Of course, Pentagon and Phoenix, um, SCU, any of those guys really, but Scorpio sky in particular, yes. um, that they need another title there. They are starting. Their roster is starting to get too bloated. And I know that they're bringing on a second show in 2020. Yes. We don't know if it's going to be dark or a bringing uh, being the elite, maybe a mix of both. We don't know what it's going to be, um, but their roster is getting very big. They are certainly going to be losing revenue from not being able to hold these shows and arenas coming up. Um, you know, I know that their contract structure is a little bit different, uh, especially for some of the low card and mid card talent where they're able to do independent stuff and, and make money there. So maybe they're not paying them as much, but regardless, um, they got to figure out what they're going to do here. And seeing these three guys, well, I, I'm going to save Hardy for last, but, but Brody Lee Archer and Matt Hardy come in. It really makes me wonder like what AEW's plan is going forward in terms of titles, in terms of booking. They're doing a really good job. 2020 has been the year of AEW. I thought 2019 was the year of NXT. Um, but 2020 so far, AEW has been the best show week to week. And I love Raw. People that listen to this podcast long term know I think Paul Heyman is doing a great job with Raw. But AEW week to week has been the best show. So I'm curious to see we know what they do about that long term. Before we get to Matt Hardy, though, I do want to talk about the elite and the inner circle because there was the promo to open the show. I mentioned it earlier. I thought it was extremely strong. Everyone did a great job. Was it corny in parts? Yeah, Cody can be pretty corny occasionally, right? And Matt, you know, as well can be corny. But I thought it was good. I thought everyone did a, did a good job getting their points across. Omega, maybe one of his strongest mic segments since being in AEW. And Hangman simply coming up and raising his glass. That's exactly what you want. You don't need him cutting a promo. Uh, the closing match, though, if I'm being honest, left a lot to be desired for me. I thought that Jericho on the mic and Sammy Guevara ringside were far more entertaining than anything that happened in the ring. And that's a crazy statement to make when you consider the talent that was in the ring. I'm not saying they didn't work hard. I'm not saying it wasn't a good match, but for some reason it just didn't hit home with me. Um, and I cared far more about Jericho's commentary than anything that was happening in the ring. Yeah. I, I not only the commentary during the match, what they were singing before, but even afterwards, the, the celebrating and the taunting, that was really what stood out. Yes. I didn't, they, I think they needed to explain a little bit better what this advantage for blood and guts was going to mean. They, they, they explained that the winner of the three on three gets an advantage. I feel like they kind of just needed to just tell us why exactly that matters, uh, especially if Nick Jackson was going to be out. We weren't sure if they were going to have a fit man. There were a lot of questions that the matches didn't feel like it had 
the stakes. Um, going back to the promo at the beginning, I thought it was pretty good. Like you said, one thing I would have liked is was was for them to go into a little bit more about why they're friends, the elite. Going right. back to right two three years ago when they decided to make the company, how they found each other on the indies, uh, because that that it just it would have been a little extra oomph in there that gets you to care about these guys. We know who the elite is. But why are they friends? If you don't follow BTE or knew about these guys beforehand, you don't totally know why all these guys are friends. I think that could have been a little bit more. But yeah, I, I thought it was a good promo, fine match. But really the stuff that happened before the match after it was more entertaining and, and what will be what will be what we remember coming out of it. The only slight disagreement, and it's very slight that I have with you, is I believe on the 2020 opening edition of dynamite or one of the first shows of the year they did do an extended video about the elite trying to be the elite again and it brought back a lot of those things that we knew from having watched being the elite and from following these guys previously but the casual fan may not have known so i do think through that through watching um revolution and the tag team match between omega page and the young bucks i do think that some of that has been figured out by the audience. But you are right. Cody's out there talking about him and Kenny not seeing eye to eye. And if you didn't watch them in New Japan, you don't know why. Yes. Or, or, or Ring of Honor. You don't know why they never saw eye to eye. What is he talking about? And then you're having to just go find it. Now, that said, they can't really show clips because it's not their material, right? So it, it's difficult. But I, I do think that uh, a more uh, exploratory segment with all of them would have worked Maybe they either didn't have the time or they didn't think it was necessary, but but they have referenced some of it on TV. So that is kind of where, I, where I lean there. But, you know, the inner circle as a whole, I, I mentioned this, um, I believe, on last week's show. They're doing everything right as a faction. This is how you build a faction. The celebration after the match was absolutely perfect. Them goofing around, Hager doing push-ups and, the, and Sammy sitting on his back, Jericho joking about it. Um, you could see that they all get along. And even the storyline of there being no cracks in their armor makes a lot of sense as well. Mm -hmm. We'll move into talking about the introduction to Matt Hardy. But even before Hardy, you know, I understand that the elite is down a man because of Nick getting hurt. Fine, right? But it's not like Moxley hasn't worked with them and Dustin hasn't worked with them. So to make it seem like they're a group of four people who have no way of getting a fifth person. It's it just kind of like uh, it's eye rolling. And similarly, last week when Heyman was going to have a mystery partner, and this is something WWE does, and they it's going to be a big deal and it's a mystery partner. And then Dustin just said last week, hey, I'm going to be your partner. And that was the that was the team. It was really deflating. So they have to work on those little kind of elements a little bit more. But honestly, this is nitpicking because if it was WWE yeah. – I would overlook those things because I'd be like, man, that segment was so great. But because it's AEW and because our expectations are so high, those are some things that I am pointing out. Now, we can talk about the close to the show. Jericho is cutting a pretty solid promo, uh, a pretty decent segment there after the match, after they had just won the advantage for Blood and Guts. And dude, when Vanguard 1 flew in, <laughs> I popped, right? Yeah, yeah. You knew immediately they could have the, the elite could have said, well, you know what? We have a surprise for you. And this is what they would have done in WWE. Uh, you know, we have someone who has our back. He's going to delete the inner circle. They pan up and there's Matt Hardy. And you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But because Vanguard one came into the picture 
and you saw it was a little bit of a tease before the tease. You're like, oh my God, that's Vanguard one. I know that. I watched Free the Delete. I watched the I know about the broken universe. I didn't know they were gonna give us Matt Hardy. I thought all we were gonna get was Vanguard one and they were gonna tease it, and then next week we would see Matt Hardy. But then they doubled down and they popped me big time by having Matt Hardy pop up. And Matt Hardy also did a great job by releasing his Free the Delete episode like moments before or during the Dark Order announcing the Exalted One. So if you were online, which a lot of AEW fans are during the show, you were able to watch Free the Delete during a commercial break, which I did, saw Matt Hardy had the red streak in his hair, and then they pay that off at the end of Dynamite with Hardy on top of the scaffolding uh, with the red hair with Vanguard One in the ring. It was a huge home run. If there was a crowd there, they would have lost their freaking minds. That's one of the best AEW moments for me since the company started. Yeah, I I have not seen Free the Delete. Actually, I missed that. So okay. I'm going to go back and watch that once we are done recording this. But I, I kind of liked, as you met, as you talked about it, the idea of, if they had just done Vanguard 1, I kind of would have loved that as well. Because yeah. then I feel like you could go explain what Vanguard 1 is. to Again, we just talked about, hey, people may not know who the Elite is. People may not know who... Broken Matt Hardy is as well, to be fair. So there, there's an opportunity. I think I'm curious if moving forward, they explain exactly what it is. But yeah, I, like I said, I would have loved to see Matt Hardy with the Dark Order, but that doesn't take it all, take all, take away at all from the way they played things out at the end. I, I didn't know what that buzzing noise was. First, I thought there was an audio issue. I was trying to figure out what was going on. Right, right, Jericho's right. Ta- Jericho's talking. There's this buzzing. I was like, oh, are they going to end the show with some weird technical issue? And then you see it. And then, yeah, then you pop. And then you see Matt Hardy in the crowd just like in the, up in the rafters like he's crowsting. And then you pop again. And I loved it. And going back to right before that, when, when the inner circle was you know, taunting and celebrating and doing all this stuff, those are little things that go a long way in building the image of a faction because it makes them feel like they're a team. The, when you look at superhero movies, if you look at the Avengers compared to the Justice League, it's those little moments, those quips, those funny moments between characters when they're not doing superhero things that makes you connect with them as characters. And that's exactly what the Inner Circle has been doing ever since they started. Sammy and Jericho are great together. Uh, just well done all around. Loved it. It really made you connect and dislike the Inner Circle as that was going off the air. And then Vanguard won and Matt Hardy hits in your pop and you, you're real excited for Blood and Guts next week. Absolutely. So no, AEW, top to bottom, really good show. I like the storylines. I like the presentation. They just, considering the circumstances especially, knocked it out of the park. So let's move over to NXT briefly. Um, You know, I'm an NXT fan. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that. Uh, I have not thought that they've done a great job in 2020. And you, I know, have a different opinion than me. So I will let you uh, say it off the top before I disagree with you. Uh, But I was pretty disappointed by NXT on Wednesday night. I understand the situation, right? Uh, WWE can only do what it can do. It is putting maximum effort, one would think, into putting entertainment on for its fans seven hours a week. Let's not forget, three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, two hours of NXT. That is far different from AEW, which has to do a two-hour show and and dark. I'm assuming they still tape dark matches considering they had everything set up. But it's not even in the same league in terms of the amount of content. At the same time, um, airing a two-hour pay-per-view pre-show, which is what I thought NXT was on Wednesday night, 
it just didn't hit home for me. Not when there's not a pay-per-view for them to build. They have canceled TakeOver. Now, I do have expectations about WrestleMania and some of those matches being on there. But as far, sure. as, I, as, far as I know, we don't know when these storylines are going to play out. Um, I'll kind of let you take it from here and disagree with me before I tell you why I feel this way. But I just wasn't completely enthused, especially because I watched AEW first. If I had watched NXT first, maybe I would have felt differently. But I came off watching a two-hour pro wrestling show into a two-hour pay-per-view kickoff show and was pretty disappointed. Yeah, when you compare, I would obviously take AEW over what NXT did. I did the same thing you did, watched AEW first, then watched NXT afterward. But especially coming up, coming off of Raw on Monday, I did not, I didn't hate what NXT did. I, I, I thought it was okay. I, my biggest problem with, with what WWE does, especially on Raw and SmackDown, is not not really is NXT, but mostly Raw and SmackDown, is that we don't get to know these characters very much. It, it's they cram in so many things. And there's little bits every week. We don't, it's not until before a pay-per-view, usually before WrestleMania, we get a nice promo package that gets you excited for a match and tells a storyline. I and re-watching what was an hour of Gargano and Choppa retelling their whole story, it got me really reinvested in it. I was not as high on Gargano Ciampa again after the way things had recently played out, but this got me excited for it. This got me excited for Finn Balor again. And the last time I was this interested in Finn Balor was, I don't remember which NXT takeover it was, but they did a they did a promo get-to-know-Finn-Balor vignette package. It included Becky Lynch in there about who he is, what he wants, and how he got here. That was one of the few times I've been able to connect with Finn Balor's character because he's, he's not that great on the mic. And this got me reinvested in these characters. And, you know, you compare that to what Raw did with, like, what, one or two matches – interviews one a full one match. match it, it was one it match. was a, one, one match it was a mess <laughs> either go all in on wrestling like AEW did or go all in on promos and vignettes and hype like nxt did they're two different things i understand why they did them i would take either of those over what we got from raw and smackdown yeah, but definitely over what we got on raw yeah i mean it's fair right if you're going to give us a clips show or a interview vignette studio show then give us that Right. Like, like, don't try to make it something it's not. But so the Gargano champ champa thing, you know, it was like it was like 75 minutes. And granted, they have a long rivalry. But the reason it was 75 minutes is because they took two or three matches that had to do with their rivalry and aired like seven or eight minutes of those matches as part of it, where I would have much preferred them telling the story of those matches. For example, when Johnny pushed Champa out of the way to take the ladder shot in the AOP ladder match, right? They didn't have Johnny come in and say, you know, I sacrificed myself for him. And then the way he repaid me was by throwing me into the Titantron and kicking my ass and turning on me, right? They just talked about it as if it was normal for those things to happen. It was half kayfabe, half not kayfabe, but... For some reason, the interviews and the way it was presented to me, and man, like I said earlier in the show, WWE does some of the best production work and video production work out there. It felt to me, the Gargano Champa in particular, it felt rushed. It felt, we're going to splice something together that is going to take up 75 minutes of our show. And granted, it was a good idea, 
Don't get me wrong. They covered most of the big moments, but it didn't feel as personal to me as it should have. It, it just lacked something. And it's difficult for me to put my finger on exactly what it was. But if you're giving a feud recap between two guys, then I don't need you to take me out of them telling the story for seven, eight minutes at a time to show a match. It just felt like they were trying to fill time with it, that it extended probably 30 minutes longer than it needed to. Uh, TakeOver and NXT have been doing these um, shows on the WWE Network. I'm forgetting what they're called at the moment, so excuse me for the ignorance. But it's been leading into major matches for recent TakeOvers. They did one for a regular TakeOver. I think they did one for TakeOver UK. And it's basically this. It's recounting a feud and telling you you know, why this upcoming match should be important. That's what I want from Gargano Champa. I didn't want 75 minutes of just meandering, you know, recounting this whole rivalry with all these matches in there. I want them giving me their emotional takes on how they went through these things. So, you know what? People may disagree with this take, but it just fell short for me. Um, now, while that fell short, the rest of the show actually didn't. I thought the Finn Balor segment was incredible. I thought it was the best of the bunch because it was so candid. It actually took us, it showed a little bit of Japan. It referenced that he started there, that he was the biggest free agent signing, took us through his NXT career, took us through his WWE career. And, you know, they didn't necessarily have him call himself a jobber, but they noted that he started losing series to these really big guys uh, that WWE was building, Lashley and, and Corbin, et cetera. And that they basically said that Finn got tired of it and wanted to win and be a, you know, wrestle people cared about again. So they brought him back to NXT. I thought that was great. The Rhea Ripley thing wasn't as good as that, but it was fine. And certainly she has less to talk about than the other two. Um, but my question, Chris, is what are they going to do next week? Because yes. they've covered the three major storylines in NXT. Like, what the hell are they going to do? Because they're not going to tell me the same storyline with the tag team picture because there really isn't one. I don't want 90 minutes on the Undisputed Era formation and all the obstacles that they've overcome. So what the hell is next week's NXT going to be? That was going to be my guess. Uh, maybe spend an hour on explaining who the Undisputed Era is. Uh, I don't think this is a good long-term strategy. If they're just going to do this all the way up to WrestleMania, okay. But I don't think it's going to work. I will say, um, going back to the Finn Balor thing that you really liked, I really liked it too. There was one part I didn't like, and that was when he would say, the best matches that Jinder Mahal and Baron Corbin had were with Finn Balor. Cause that's where it's getting out of kayfabe to me. Like, I don't want a guy who wants a good match. I want a guy who's going to, who wants to win, who wants to well, beat these guys. That's the point. They, they, they couldn't have him breaking kayfabe and say, look, after I lost the universal title, when I came back, all I did was lose matches because they jobbed me. Because right. Vince, I, I don't know. He, yeah, he I, can't say, he can't say Vince McMahon lost faith in me. You know what no, I mean? I, you could have you could have ignored it or just say I, I got I got in a rough patch and I wanted to come back to where I'm home. I I think there was a kayfabe way to get around it without simply saying they well, had their best matches because that's just a weird. It's a like Ziggler does this a lot too. The the show still. I don't want a guy who, like if if I'm watching wrestling, I want somebody who wants to beat somebody up and win. I don't that, want somebody else to have a good match. Okay, but let me make a counterpoint. That's what he was saying. He said I was there having good matches. But that's not what I'm about. I'm a winner. I'm a wrestler. I want to be on top. And the way I can do that again and find myself again is to come back to NXT. So that's I agree. Fair. 
I agree with what you're saying completely, but that was part of him telling the story. Let's not forget, dude, they glossed over his Intercontinental Championship run, and they completely glossed over the fact that The Fiend beat him at the Royal Rumble. He took three months off, and then he showed back up in NXT. So they, they took out two huge chunks of his return. That icy title win was a big deal. It was supposed to be. And him losing to The Fiend, that could have should have been the catalyst that he met his match, that someone came along that made him need to find himself again. And that's why he went back to NXT. They cut that out of the story. I was way more offended at that than by the way he talked about Baron Corbin and Jinder Mahal. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But but like I had said before, I don't. One of the early, one of the first NXT takeovers with Finn, they did one of these things where they told his backstory, and it really gets you into him. It's it's hard to it's, he's not great on the mic. It's hard to connect with him as character sometimes. And these these types of vignettes, promo videos, are a great way to do that. And now I'm fired up to see Finn Balor next. Absolutely. And yeah, as for as for what goes next, I don't know. My guess is like what you said. My guess is. We're going to get an hour on the Undisputed Era, which I, I, I'm okay with it. If I'm getting, if I'm watching AEW and NXT on the same night, if I'm getting two hours of wrestling from AEW, I'm okay with two hours of vignettes from NXT uh, as a balance, even though that's not the intent. But as a viewer, I'm, I'm, I can live with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we could potentially get Adam Cole's rise to the championship, Velveteen Dream's rise period from tough enough to, you know, to NXT, to Training Center, I'm sorry, to NXT, to, you know, winning the North American champion, to being taken out of commission by the Undisputed Era, and maybe building into their match. But the problem is they haven't announced the title match between those two. That's the assumption. But, you know, what, where we left off on NXT was Cole telling Dream, you haven't done anything to deserve this, so you're not going to get it yet, right? So that would be the next and only remaining thing that would make sense to me. But I don't see that. The other, of course, is Keith Lee. But there's, that's not a deep storyline. There's not really that much there. What, what interested me, the other thing I want to talk about NXT before we wrap up here, is kind of like AEW in which my assumption is that Cody and the Bucks and some of these guys have apartments in Jacksonville, SCU. All the NXT talent lives in Orlando. So you don't have to worry about travel. So that is another reason to me why it was so surprising to have a two-hour clip show, or, you know, interview show, segment show um because everyone lives there so it's so much easier to put on a couple of matches that was a shocker the other thing is i started thinking to myself really right as we were starting the show why exactly did they do that and my only thought and i think i'll be proven right or wrong on friday when they tape smackdown from the performance center is you know the pc happened to have been set up for one episode of NXT because they were unable to air it full sale due to graduation. They needed the facility for graduation. And it just so happened that WWE was forced to cancel SmackDown and Raw and the coronavirus pandemic reached a point where WWE now needs to use the Performance Center as a facility to air shows. What if after Raw on Monday, they are doing a massive renovation to the Performance Center and had to air an NXT clip show on Wednesday in order to put in sets, to change the acoustics, to change the setup, add additional cameras. Maybe by the time SmackDown rolls around on Friday, the Performance Center is going to look completely different than it did on last Friday and last Monday. And the reason they gave us a clip show is not because they weren't creative enough to figure out matches and how to film it, but because they actually needed to do construction on the Performance Center in order to turn it into a venue that WWE can use to shoot not just these TV shows, but WrestleMania in two and a half weeks. 
You know, that is an interesting theory. You know, we will find out on Friday, but uh, I don't know. I think that's a good idea. And, and uh, it would make sense because what they've been doing is not quite working. I, I think I think the lasers and the smoke and stuff is OK, but the, the chair stuff is not working. I don't think they need to change the lighting or, or whatever. But th- you're right. That's not full sale. That's not typically what that's supposed to be used for. Um so yeah, I would imagine they do something for WrestleMania at least. I, I don't think we're going to see the exact same empty set that we've gotten for Raw and SmackDown. So it's possible. We'll see. Yeah, I am very curious about that. But look, went over an hour here uh, with Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris V-A-N-N-I-N-I. Again, uh, college football writer for The Athletic and co-host of, uh, I lost the name, what is it called? The Green, Green and White Noise. Which Green is and also White Noise. Kind of, which is also kind of on hiatus because there's no football to talk about right now, but I always give a road dog intro to that podcast. So there's oh, some, you did? I, I, try, I, try to, I try to throw some wrestling in when I can, but it's a Michigan State football podcast otherwise. Well, I certainly appreciate you listening to Getting Over uh, You know when you're not on it, uh, but I, I would love to repay that to you with the Green and White Noise podcast, but candidly, I don't give a damn about Michigan State football. So it would be something that would be uh, a little bit taxing. But obviously, certainly appreciate you coming on today. And if you do have the time, if you are uh, on a little bit of a hiatus, considering there's not much Michigan State football going on, certainly would love to have you back talking more professional wrestling in the coming weeks. Thanks to Chris for joining us on this edition of getting over uh, absolute great time with him. Before we finish up today, I did promise I was going to answer some of your DM slides and questions. We did run a little bit longer than I expected, but we are still going to get to them. So I, uh, I'm going to run through these. There may be a little bit of repetition. If so, I will simply say as much, but this is getting over time. And we're going to start with, with Tristan Ataliano at Ataliano underscore Tristan. Is it me or does it seem WWE has completely thrown in the towel so far with this week's TV programming. Half of Raw was a replay of the Royal Rumble, and all of NXT was basically a recap show highlighting their biggest feuds. We're 2.5 weeks out from WrestleMania. Can it be saved in any way? So we did address this, obviously, a little bit at the end there, but I was far more disappointed in Raw. Raw is a three-hour television program, and they basically just decided to air an entire Royal Rumble match as opposed to try and create any type of new content. My biggest issue was they clearly had people there. They have NXT talent that lives in Orlando as well. So even if you threw a couple NXT matches on a Raw and kept doing what you did there, you could have run a truncated Royal Rumble. Take that Royal Rumble, boil it down from an hour and a half to 45 minutes, uh, show the important parts, and let's move on. Uh, I thought them airing the whole Royal Rumble was a bit of a cop-out. Again, this is not me criticizing WWE. We are in extraordinary times right now. There is a global pandemic with a virus infecting everyone. The fact that WWE is doing live shows at all is a miracle, and it is something that fans should be praising them up and down for. All I am saying is that, especially now, when you compare it to what AEW was able to produce on Dynamite, but Raw, just to me, they could have done so much better. You know, there was a report out there, I think from Dave Meltzer, or maybe it was Mike Johnson, a PW Insider, but that WWE and Vince McMahon looked at what happened on SmackDown And we're utilizing that to know what to do Monday. To me, they did the exact opposite. Everything that was good about SmackDown was the promos in the ring, the matches I thought were totally fine, and Triple H having fun. Instead, they took Triple H out. They gave us a bland commentary booth. They had no matches, and they only had like two legitimate promo segments, one of which went completely off the rails um, with 
uh, the Undertaker. I guess they had three, but the Undertaker one I just didn't like at all. So uh, I thought it was a zero from WWE on Monday. Not a zero on Wednesday, but just certainly not my cup of tea in terms of what I think WWE is capable of. Uh, two very similar DM slides here. Sammy Redden at 50 Miles East asked, what's stopping WWE from a pre-taped WrestleMania with a CGI audience? Without a large live crowd, they could control spoiler leaks a little easier. That would get them the crowd reaction from the television event they're looking for, but be able to book it how they want. John Mason at Mason20HD, very similar. Just had a thought about WrestleMania. Wanted to get your take with all the technology out there and vast amounts of live audio WWE has. Could they tape it at the PC and then add the audience digitally along with sound corresponding to action in the ring? Would love to hear what you think. So could WWE do CGI? Yes, they could. How long in advance would they need to tape WrestleMania for that to happen? Man, a while, I think. I mean, just look at what happens with like movies and all the CGI, CGI they need to do for A Fast and the Furious or something like The Matrix. That takes months and months of time for them to put together. You're talking about a three or four hour show twice because they're going to do it Saturday and Sunday. So is it possible? Yes, but I don't think that it's a good idea anyway because everyone knows what's happening right now. We know that there's not allowed to be crowds at the show. So if you're going to CGI a fake crowd, it's just not simply going to work now. Could they add some ambient noise? Yeah, I think WWE could do, I think I mentioned this on Monday, uh, Tuesday show with Brian, they could do something like the NBA does where they play music or sound behind the action. Um, because NBA fans clearly, yeah, they cheer when baskets are made, but they're not constantly cheering for an entire match and WWE fans are not either. So I think if there was some type of audio in the background, ambient noise, that could help. But I also think that you can fix that by my original idea, which AEW, I don't think they took my idea, don't get me wrong, but they certainly did what I suggested by having other wrestlers around the ring making noise and being action elements. I think that is the way the WWE should go. Hopefully they learned from what AEW provided a little bit there. Uh, Black Saber Jr. at underscore Black Saber Jr. writes us, is there a match on the show you think could actually benefit from having no fans? Which one will lose the most? So I did look at the cards after I saw this question. I don't necessarily think any match can benefit from it. However, if there is one that would not be as affected by it, I think it would be Becky Lynch against Shayna Baszler. Becky Lynch is over as all hell. She does not necessarily need the crowd pop that Roman Reigns or Drew McIntyre would need. Shayna Baszler generally, despite me liking her as a performer and I don't get to hate for her, she tends to have more boring matches, especially when she's not going up against an incredible wrestler like a Kyrie Sane or an Asuka. And while Becky Lynch is great, in the ring, she's not, you know, one of the top two or three workers in WWE. So I think their match is going to be a bit more slow and plodding. And it may be a little bit on the boring side in terms of the in-ring action, especially if there's not a stipulation going. Because of that, I do think that not having a crowd will not affect that match as much. And ultimately, fans could potentially have gotten bored during it. In this case, they're not being fans. There's really nothing for them to vocalize. In terms of which will lose the most, I think it's Edge and Orton. Um, you know, yes, you could say that Drew McIntyre potentially winning the title or Roman Reigns winning the title. You do want that massive crowd pop. No question about it. But Edge and Orton has been built up so well. It is the premier match on the entire WrestleMania card, in my opinion. Edge just came back at the Royal Rumble. 
Orton is over as all hell with fans, whether he's a heel or a face. That one, as a last man standing match, could have gotten incredible crowd reaction. And I think not having a crowd there, the match will still be good, but the ending is going to end up feeling a little bit flat because you're going to want people to pop in a major way when Edge eventually beats Orton. Sean McDermott at I'm Board Brother writes us, AEW is getting praised for how they approach Dynamite compared to SmackDown and Raw, but how much can we tell is just reactionary of what not to do that WWE showed them versus their own creative prowess? Feels as though WWE was in a lose-lose situation since they went first, and if they take up any part of what AEW did, they're going to be labeled as copycats. So it's a fair question. My answer you may not like. Um, No, AEW deserves the praise because they sat down and thought out how to present Dynamite in the best possible way. Let's not forget, Raw had the opportunity to learn from SmackDown. WWE had the opportunity to learn from itself. They had an entire weekend. And instead of taking the best parts of SmackDown, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, they actually took some of the worst parts. Yes, the vignettes, uh, not the vignettes, sorry, the, the in-ring promos were good. They figured out they needed to do that. That was That was solid. But they took... You know, fans being okay with them airing the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match and said, well, you know, fans didn't revolt about that. Let's give them 90 minutes of a Royal Rumble. And they only gave us one new match on the show. And that new match was Rey Mysterio Andrade, something we have seen dozens of times at this point. They did not learn from themselves. Now, I do think WWE has an opportunity to learn from AEW. And we're going to find out very soon on Friday if they have learned. Let's not forget... The gambling thing that MJF and Sean Spears did, WWE had been doing that for years with Ron Simmons and JBL. So you know what I do if I'm WWE? I don't even care that they're going to call me, that fans might call me a copycat from AEW. I reunite the APA and I set them on one side of the ring and I have them bet on matches and have bring other wrestlers in, drink beer, play cards, do that whole gimmick from back in the day. Have them make noise constantly throughout. Um, I hope WWE learns from what AEW did. I don't think that WWE was in a lose-lose situation because, like I said, Raw could have been affected by SmackDown and instead WWE almost doubled down on the wrong things there. Adam X. Parsons, at Adam X. Parsons on Twitter, he said he absolutely loved the Lance Archer vignette plus the Brody Lee and Matt Hardy debuts of those three who will be in the best situation or spot six months from now in AEW? It's a really good question. Obviously, you know, I disagree about the vignette. Um, You know, Matt is older and he's not going to be able to necessarily work as much. So I think a lot of what you're going to see from Matt is hardy compound broken universe type of stuff. By nature of Matt likely probably working some producer for them, in addition to being in ring and doing fun vignettes and things like that, I think he will be a constant presence in AEW. I'm not really going to count him in this conversation. I'm going to go between Lance Archer and Brody Lee. I think by nature of his youth, the fact that he is paired with um, Jake the Snake Roberts, and the fact that he just is someone that the AEW guys in total are familiar with, I think Lance Archer is going to have a higher ceiling in AEW. That said, I'm really excited to see what Brody Lee does, you know, somewhat unchained. I hate to say that, but let's not forget that Luke Harper should have been in a triple threat WrestleMania match with Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. And he probably should have won. The fans were all over Luke Harper during that time in WWE a couple years ago. 
Instead, they ended up having him lose that triple threat match. And they had Bray Wyatt, for no good reason, lose the title to Randy Orton at WrestleMania after doing all those worms and all those stupid gimmicks. So, you know, I think Harper has a lot to prove. Brody Lee has a lot to prove. But Lance Archer, I do think, has the highest ceiling. And considering he's immediately going into a program with Cody, six months from now, I think he will be in the best situation. We're going to wrap up here with Sean McDermott one more time at I'm Bored Brother. And I know that a couple more of you uh, did write us, but some of your questions repeated things that we already discussed earlier in the show. So I didn't want to get to them. Uh, but Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother checking in for a second time here. What match not currently on the WrestleMania card or expected to be added do you want to be added to get you more fired up? I think it's NXT matches at this point. Uh, they're not going to be holding TakeOver. To me, you're in the Performance Center. Those dudes live in Orlando. Maybe you don't do the Keith Lee triple threat. It seems like they're going to do um, with Damian Priest involved in that, uh, along with Dominic Dijakovic. Already, that is very repetitive for me. I don't need to see that at a, at a WrestleMania. But look, how much longer are you going to put off Gargano Champa? I think you have to play it out here. So give me Gargano Champa. Uh, give me Adam Cole against uh, Velveteen Dream and give me whatever this women's number one contendership ladder match is going to end up being. You got a couple more weeks, fill out the rest of those slots and give it to me. If they don't do that, I would not be surprised for NXT to run a takeover head to head with an AEW Dynamite coming up sooner than later, at least as soon as fans are allowed back in the building. That should win a ratings war. It should be an incredible event. Um, but I think you need to strike, strike while the iron is hot here. You're already doing WrestleMania over two days. There's a lot of matches that have not been announced or finalized. The Battle Royals in particular, uh, there's no set intercontinental title match. It does look like we're headed for the Lucha Fatal 4-Way um, for the U.S. Championship. I don't believe there's a Raw uh, tag team title match. There's no SmackDown women's title match right now. So I would kind of cut the fat. And I know you want to get checks for some of these wrestlers. Put them in the crowd and pay them. That's all you need. Put them in the crowd, pay them their WrestleMania checks. Um, but I would throw some of these NXT matches on this two-day WrestleMania and really blow it up. Okay, a long edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast today. By far our longest yet. Thank you guys for sticking with me through the entire thing. Thanks once again to Chris Vanini for joining me. Uh, we will be back with a, another episode covering everything having to do with WWE on Tuesday, coming after Monday Night Raw. If there are some more crazy WrestleMania announcements that we need to talk about, yeah, sure, I'll hit another instant analysis. I'm self-quarantining at home anyway. Uh, feel free to send over some beer recommendations. Hell, feel free to send over some beer to the Silver King if you so choose. Uh, but I, you know, we're gonna get some uh, drinking going, we're gonna get some wrestling watching going, and maybe we'll even throw in a pay-per-view rewind or two. Maybe not before WrestleMania, but perhaps coming out of WrestleMania. So once again, follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast if you don't subscribe already subscribe wherever you get fine wrestling audio and don't forget again to follow me on twitter at silverstein adam drop those five star reviews until tuesday bye for now